Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. You did a good job, Mike, representing all us men folks up there. Please turn with me again to Revelation chapter 19, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. And Chris, if you will, if you will put that on not the first frame, but the second frame, okay? Not that one. There you go. Thank you very much. Let's pray together, okay? Father, as we come again to your house, Lord, I just thank you that we can gather and fellowship. God, I thank you for each person, from the youngest to the oldest, God, because we are the family of God. And through Christ, we are brothers and sisters. Through Christ, God, we just love you together as a church body. And, Father, we come in these moments confessing again our incompleteness, Father. We are still sinners that are saved by grace. We still struggle every day to to be your witnesses and to share the good news of your son. Father, I'm assuming that everybody is like me, that there's still a lot of doubts and things that we don't understand. And so, Father, we come before you this day to ask you that as we study these passages from Revelation, that your, your Holy Spirit would truly guide us and direct us and help us to understand, Father, that you are sending your Son back for us, and that to be one of your children means that we shall live forever with you in a place that Jesus has prepared for us. And I pray, Father, that we would also see that for those who reject the gospel of Jesus Christ and refuse to believe that he is the only way to heaven, that what awaits them is being separated from you forever. God, I thank you that it is your divine plan that all would come to Christ and be saved. But, Father, I pray that as we share this scripture, even as it talks about those who refuse the gospel, that we would understand, Father, it is so important that we as Christians live every day for you. It's so important that we as a church accept the commission that your son gave that we should go into the world and make disciples and teach people about you. God, I pray in these moments that you will speak your truth clearly through me. And God, I pray that we would honor your word as we read and we study it. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I read the passage of scripture, I want to just share a couple of things with you, okay? Uh, and I'm praying that this is going to, I'm going to be able to say this clearly and precisely. In studying the book of Revelation, I don't fully understand everything about it. And I'm not ashamed of that because I think it's an honest confession, confession I don't think any of us do. And so often people doubt that anybody can understand this book. And and I don't think that's true. I don't think God has written anything in his word that we can't, if not in whole, we can't partially understand, at least the central message. And I'm not worried about people criticizing me as a minister and saying I don't think he knows what he's talking about um, because I talk a lot and there's a lot of things I talk about that I really don't know much about, but I just like talking about them. But anyway... This week, is, and I didn't do a lot of studying on this, but there was, a, there was a gentleman that studies numerology, which is a study of numbers, believing that they have spiritual significance and meaning, that predicted that yesterday would be the end of the world. 
Again, I, I haven't looked into that. I know that there were people making fun, ridiculing him. I don't think he did it to be ridiculed. I don't think he did it because he was insincere. But, folks, a lot of times people take this approach toward the book of Revelation. Can you really believe it? And I believe you can. And I was praying about this on Friday. I had to do a lot of driving Friday. And, and a lot of times while I'm driving, I feel like God, God is very near me, not only protecting me, but letting me express my doubts. And I thought, God, please don't let me stand in that pulpit and say something that is false or misleading to people. Because I will be judged by my faithfulness to God and his son and his word. And in my memory came the story of Jesus as he began his ministry in John chapter 2. Let me quickly refresh your memory. Jesus has begun his ministry. He's already called some men to follow him. He's already performed one of the signs that showed that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the changing of the water into wine. And then Jesus, at Passover time, goes into the temple. And you remember the money changers were there, and Jesus drove the sheep and oxen out, and he overturned the coins of the money changers. And he told the people, take all of these things away. You shall not make my father's house a house of prayer. And the Jews... Then said to him, what sign have you to show us for doing this? And here was Jesus' reply. Listen to this. John 2.19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But then I believe the apostle John gives us some information. But Jesus spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Why am I telling you all of this? The thought hit me that, and I'm guessing somewhere between two and a half and three years from the time that Jesus made this promise, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it again. As you read through the Gospel of John, guess what happens? They destroyed his temple, his body, on a cross. And they buried it. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead, and he is alive forevermore. And if you just look at things at the beginning, you would say, why is Jesus saying that? And the Apostle John was able to say, after all this had happened, he told us this so that we would know when he was raised from the dead that he knew this was going to happen. And folks, as I thought about that, the beginning of the Gospel of John and the end of the Gospel of John, and the resurrected Lord comes back and is with his disciples and sends them out, as the Father sent me, so send I you. I thought about the beginning of the, of the book of Revelation where John is on the Isle of Patmos and he has been exiled and he is a prisoner because he has been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They wanted to silence him. They wanted to put him somewhere that he could not have any influence in teaching and preaching about Jesus coming back again. But you know what? The beginning of the book of Revelation... Jesus promises John 
that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, correct? When you get to the end of the book of Revelation, where we're studying right now, guess what? Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And folks, that's the message. And if you as a Christian, if I as a Christian have doubts, I don't think God's disturbed by that because that is a human experience. But I also thought about that song that's sung at Easter drama, We Believe. Listen to the chorus. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And then you remember the last line. I know that the praise and worship choir does. And he's coming back again. We believe. We believe. Folks, we do believe that Jesus is coming back. Whether we can completely and totally understand how he's going to do it or not, we believe he is coming back. And my brothers and sisters, I'm staking everything I have that he's coming back. And it's important that we hear these words describing that final battle that the Lord Jesus will have with the forces of Satan. So listen to these verses, Revelations 19, verse 17 and following. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called all the birds that fly in mid-heaven, Come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, remember again, that's the Antichrist. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war. Now again, folks, I cannot say this enough. They are going to make war against who? Jesus. Because you remember in verse 11 of this same chapter, Jesus comes forth riding what? The the white horse. Okay, so listen to this. The beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gather to make war against him who sits upon the horse and against his army. And listen to the next verse. The beast was captured. And with it the false prophet who in its presence had worked the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword of him who sits upon the horse, the sword that issues from his mouth, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Then I saw an angel come down, coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon. There are four, there are four words. I'm not good at English, but there are four synonyms. You remember synonyms are words that mean the same. There are four synonyms for the devil here. The dragon, the serpent, the devil, and Satan. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be loosed for a while. Folks, beginning with verse 17, you and I are taken to a battle scene. Many call this the battle of Armageddon. And the first word in verse 17 is so important, the word then. 
All of this is in accordance with God's timetable. And John says that he saw an angel standing in the sun. Now, again, as I've tried to study that, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Because the sun would be so hot that that we would think in our own minds that the angel would be consumed by the heat. But, folks, I believe what this means is that the angel's presence is known to everybody on the earth. Everybody will see this angel, and not only will they see the angel, but possibly they will hear the angel call out with a loud voice he called out. Come gather for the great supper of God. Who did he call out to? He called out to the birds, the birds of prey. Folks, there's getting ready to be a great slaughter. And birds are supposed to get ready for all the enemies of Satan and the unbelieving world that will be slain, who are trying to fight against God. They will be completely slain by the one riding on the white horse, who is Jesus Christ. Now, as I read this story, look, my mind went back to uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 43 to 47. Thank you, Chris. I'm sorry. You remember this story well. The Philistines said to David, this is the story of David and Goliath, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his, look at that next word, gods, plural. The Philistines had a multitude of gods. In our day, there are multitudes of things that people worshipped. The Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give your what? Your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, am I a dog that you come to me? No, wait a minute. Then David said to the Philippine, <laughs> to the Philistine, I'm sorry, y'all. When I really think I'm on a roll, that's when I just, just fall right out, crash and burn. Okay. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But look at this next phrase. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. What does this have to do with the book of Revelation? Well, first of all, Goliath, I think, representative was a representative of all the evil and all the worship of any other gods beside the God of Israel. That day, the Philistine army was on one side of a dry riverbed. David was on the other and, and, and Saul and his armies. And the battle is about whose, whose God is the real God. Because you see, if, if Goliath won, the people of Israel were supposed to bow down and worship their gods. David stood up for the God that he knew was a true God. And listen to what David says in verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down, cut off your head. And if you'll go to the next one, Chris. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Now, how's the comparison here? Folks, listen. There were both great battles, but David is representing God 
in the Old Testament, and the Lord Jesus Christ is he himself leading this battle that we're about to see here in Revelations 19. And, and let me give you two verses to identify what's going on, okay? Revelation 16, 14. And let me read the latter part of that verse, okay? These demonic spirits have gone around the world performing signs, going abroad to the kings of the whole world, look at this, to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. And two verses later, they assemble them at the place which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. Excuse me. Armageddon. Okay, where did I get Golgotha? Folks, listen. This is why I have to pray all the time. You, I've got a small brain and there's a whole lot of stuff flying around inside of it, okay? And sometimes it doesn't, my mouth doesn't come out with the right words. And you ought to hear me at home. That's when I really get in trouble. But anyway, back on text, okay? Let me tell you some things that the Full Life Study Bible says about the Battle of Armageddon, okay? The destruction of God's enemy will be so great that it will require a multitude of birds to clean up the battlefield. And that's why it's called the Great Supper of God. For God will provide fowl food for the birds of prey for the fowl. And folks, the scene here is one of judgment against the world's terrible cruelty and evil. And folks, in verse 18, listen to this. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Millions, perhaps even billions of people are going to slain, be slain in the battle instantly. And in verse 19, John's vision says, I saw the beast, the beast, the antichrist, and the king's of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who sits upon the horse and against his army. Folks, let me just give you some information about Armageddon, okay? The plain of Armageddon is thought to be located in north-central Palestine. It will be the center of the battle on that great day, Revelation 16, 14. But folks, let me point something out, and this is something that, that has helped me. The judgment of God will extend to all the world. It will not just be in that one spot there in Palestine, but the judgment of God will extend to the entire world. And, and let me give you some scripture for this, okay? Don't get stuck on the notion that the, the, all the battle is done at Armageddon. The judgment of God will fall worldwide. And to understand this, we need to go back to the Old Testament. And if you've read the prophets much, you know that the prophets talked about judgment of God that was not only coming in their day, but the judgment of God that would come at a future date. 
And most often it is called the day of the Lord. And as I read these verses to you out of Jeremiah 25, beginning with verse 29, please understand that Jeremiah is prophesying not only about the the coming judgment of God upon the nation of Israel, but he's talking about the coming day of the Lord that will happen here at Armageddon when Jesus comes back. And just listen to how these words are written, are, are worded. And this was written probably five to six hundred years before the coming of Christ on the earth. Just listen. Jeremiah 25. For behold, I began to work evil at the city which is called by my name, and shall you go unpunished. Ye shall not go unpunished. For I am summoning a sword against all the inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord of hosts. You therefore shall prophesy against them all these words and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high from his holy habitation, utter his voice. He will roar mightily against his fold and shout like those who tread grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. Now please notice that twice now the phrase all the inhabitants of the earth has been used. The clamor will resound to the ends of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh. And the wicked he shall put to the sword, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, evil is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is staring from the farthest parts of the earth. And those slain by the Lord on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground. Now listen. Again, I think it's important that we understand that Jeremiah was speaking of a time that was going to come of judgment upon the nation of Israel because of their sin and upon the nations that had captured them and mistreated them. But I think Jeremiah, even perhaps as he did not understand it fully, was speaking of a future time of judgment. Let me again read to you another passage of Scripture, Joel chapter 3. I'll gather all the nations and bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now, again, I tried to relate these to Armageddon and Jehoshaphat, but I don't know that that can be done. Maybe again in Joel's day, it was the valley of Jehoshaphat. In the book of Revelation, it is the, it is the battle of Armageddon. And it says, I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people and my heritage Israel because they have scattered them across the nations and have divided up my land. I have cast lots from a people and given, given a boy for a harlot. These wicked people have cast lots from my people, have given a boy for a harlot and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you're paying me back, I will requite your deed upon your head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and carried my rich treasures into your temples. Now, what that means is when the people came into Jerusalem and destroyed uh, the temple and took, um, took God's people out, they also took the things of the temple of God and put it in their own temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks, removing them far from their own border. But now I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will requite 
your deed upon your head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hands of the sons of Judah. They will sell them to the Sabians, to a nation far off, for the Lord has spoken. And listen to verse 9. Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare war. Stir up mighty men. Let all men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all you nations round about. Gather yourselves there. Bring down thy warriors, O Lord. Let the nations bestir themselves and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all nations round about. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread for the wine press is full. The vats overflow for the wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened. The stars withdrawing their shining. And the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you will know that I am the Lord your God who dwell in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never again pass through it. And folks, I hope you don't say, well, what does this have to do with the book of Revelation? Folks, the prophets and even Moses predicted the worldwide day of the judgment of God. And folks, again, the battle is not just in one particular point, but the battle is worldwide. And remember back to Revelations 19 now, Satan and his demonic forces have gathered together the armies of many nations under the direction of the Antichrist in order to make war against God, against his armies and his people, and to destroy Jerusalem. And the focal point will be the land of Israel, but the event of Armageddon will invite the entire world according to Jeremiah 5 that we read. And what's going to happen? Jesus will return and supernaturally intervene to destroy the Antichrist, his armies, the false prophet, and all those who have disobeyed and rejected the gospel. And how does this happen? Verse 20. How does the battle go? And I'll, I'll stop in just a minute. Let me, let me get through this, okay? How does the battle go? The beast and the false prophet are captured. And another translation of that would be rendered powerless. Powerless. And notice again the description of the, anti, of the false prophet in verse 20. He had worked signs by which he deceived. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24. Excuse me. I got it right here. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders as to lead astray of possible, even the elect. Folks, during the tribulation time, the false prophet has led people to receive the mark of the beast and to worship his image. And folks, just think about this. The world during Jesus' day rejected the signs that Jesus gave to prove that he is the Son of God and receives the signs of the deceiver. And folks, in the days that we're living in, in the days to come, people will be led to reject Christ and to accept the Antichrist and the false prophet. And folks, there's something we need to see here. Sin leads us away from Christ. Sin leads us to follow the devil. 
And folks, this is exactly what has happened. And sin leads ultimately to what? Spiritual death. For the wages of sin is death. And, and let me close by telling you this. What happens to the beast and the false prophet in verse 20? These two were thrown alive into what? The lake of fire which burns with sulfur. Hell. And again, I'm not trying to intimidate or scare anybody. I'm just trying to tell you what the word of God says. Let me quickly read two notes on that, okay? Herschel Ford says, The Antichrist does not have a chance to lead his army against Christ. You realize that? They've gathered all these armies, all the forces of wickedness. Jesus comes down and it's over. The Antichrist had boasted of his power. He had defied God. He was going to dethrone God. But the scripture tells us the Antichrist and the false prophet are taken and cast into the lake of fire. Christ spoke and all of the Antichrist's power is gone. He is cast along with the false prophet into the lake of fire. Warren Wiersbe writes this. Since Satan's henchmen are the leaders of the revolt against God, it is very right that they should be captured and confined. They are cast into the lake of fire, the final and permanent place of punishment for all who refuse to accept and submit to Christ. The beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are the first persons to be cast into hell. Satan will follow A thousand years later, look at Revelations 20, verse 10, and we've got the wrong verse on there. Let me read Revelations 20, verse 10 quickly to you, okay? And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and suffered where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. And then follows those who have not received Christ as Savior Let me read Revelations 20, verse 15 to you. Let me read that verse. And if one's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Sounds pretty tough, doesn't it? Let me point two more things out. I promise you, I'm finished, okay? What happens when a believer dies? We've already studied this, but they go immediately to be with the Lord, correct? Let me read these verses again, according to Paul. Philippians 1, 20, 21 to 23. Would you go to that? Thank you, Chris. Listen to this. For me to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain. If it is to be life in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Listen to this. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ. My desire is to part and be with Christ. Paul knew what lay before him. Paul says that is better. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. But now listen to what he says in verse 8. We're of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Correct? That's where the believer winds up. But what about the unbeliever? Their spirit goes to a place called Hades, which means the unseen world, the realm of the dead. 
And if you think this, none of this is coordinated, it is, folks. Look at this. Revelations 20, verse 13 to 15. We'll study this in a couple of weeks. And the sea gave up the dead in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead in them, and all were judged by what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown where? Into the lake of fire. The second death, the lake of fire. Now, who is already there? The Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan himself. If anyone's name was not found written in the book, book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Folks, again, that's not God's desire. He wants everyone to know him as Savior. But folks, here's the ultimate decision that all of us make in life. We receive Christ or we reject him. When we receive him, we become his child and he prepares a place for us. Hell was prepared for Satan and his demons. Not for the people, because Jesus died, that all might be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But folks, the decision is ours. And and look, again, the Holy Spirit's the only one that can draw you into Christ. I'm just, I'm just reporting to you what the word of God says. And we're either going to be in heaven with Christ, or we're going to be in hell with Satan and all of his hosts that have made war against the Lord and condemned themselves to an eternal hell. But here's the good news. There's hope, and that hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me again tell you the ABCs of salvation. There are many different ways you can do this. A stands for acknowledge that you are a sinner. B Believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And see, commit your heart and your life to Jesus. I pray that if you haven't turned to Jesus, you would. I pray that if there's any confusion in your heart and your mind about whether or not you're saved, that you would take these steps, acknowledge you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died for you, and commit your heart and your life to him, depending on him and him alone to get you into heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I'm sure that the folks sitting in this room have heard this story many, many times before, that to reject Christ means condemnation because we stand before a holy God in all of our sin that's not been washed in the blood of Jesus. But to trust Jesus means that he has taken our sins upon himself and he has paid the price of our salvation. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit might be in this room and if there are those that have not yet made that decision to trust Jesus, I pray that they would. And if there's any confusion, Father, in our hearts and minds, I pray that you would, you would give us clarity, Lord, that in Christ there is salvation and there's hope. And God, I pray that no one here would reject Christ, but come to him humbly asking him to be their Savior. Father, lead and direct during these moments of invitation. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Our hymn this morning is number 473, Just a Closer Walk with Thee. Let us stand as we sing.
whether you like it or not. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, would you lead us in a closing prayer? Yes, sir. Heavenly Father, thank you again for allowing us to gather here in your house, Lord. This week is uh, we go through revival week, Lord. Just be with Mr. Chambers and see praise the message each night, Lord. Just be with each one of us and allow us to be able to take that message into our heart, Lord. And just uh, keep us safe this week, happy and healthy. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.